It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hi, I'm Jay Harris from the New York Mets. Welcome to our Mets Alumni Podcast. Doc, let's go back to 1983. You strike out 300 guys at uh, at Lynchburg in the Carolina League in 191 innings. You win 19 games. You go to Major League Camp in 1984. You give in number 64. What what chances did you think you have making a team that year in spring of '84? You know, it's funny when I went to spring training, I wasn't really sure, but I remember in '83 when I went to Triple um, A for the playoffs, and David Johnson was the manager. And um, after we won the Triple A World Series, he said, "Next year, whatever team and whatever level he managed, I'll build his team." So when he got when he got the big league job, I got invited to spring training. And even though David said that it was still I wasn't sure because of my age, and I really haven't done anything. And so going through spring training, I wasn't really sure until probably towards the end, I had a little bit of success, but I still wasn't sure I could make the team until I was finally told that I made the team. So I remember the last day uh, you were so unsure, you went to Davey's office and you forgot, you never brought your luggage to the ballpark, right, because you weren't sure you were going to make the team. Right. I had um, yeah, I went to Davey's office, and um, I talked to him. I said, Davey, um, how was my chances? He said, well, we hadn't really decided yet, but the chance looked good. So I remember the night before, my dad asked me what did I feel because we had spring training in St. Petersburg, and I lived in Tampa, which is only like 30 minutes away. I said, well, don't bring my bags because I'm not sure. I don't want to feel like I'm cocky or, you know, that I already know that I'm making a team. So he said, okay, I'll wait home and call me as soon as, you know, you know something. Either way, they'll come to the ballpark. And so um, I think it was like the fifth inning of the last spring training game when David came up to me and said, congratulations, you made the team. And even when David told me, I was excited about it, but I still was kind of unsure if I was ready or not. But, but uh, so you know, going into the year, Doc, you know, the Mets hadn't been good the last couple of years. You know, you start the year as nineteen. How, how much pressure did you, did you feel on yourself to be like the kind of savior on the mound? Do you remember how you felt when the season began? Yes, I remember um, when the season first started. Um, I decided to make the team, and I remember my dad telling me because I was nineteen years old. He said, "Go out, pitch, have fun." He said, um, just don't pay attention to the names on the back of the jersey. I guess what he meant by that, don't be intimidated by guys who've been around for a while, like the Pete Rose or the Mike Schmidt or the Dale Murphys. And that was big advice. And I think probably after about four or five stars, that's when I really felt that I belonged. And I felt I had a good chance to have success. And at that point, I felt like it was very important that I you know, do the best I can to help the mess, get things turned around because of you know, previous years before I got there. Doc, so April 7th, your first start in Houston in the Astrodome. You were so nervous that you didn't take the bus. You walked to the park, and they almost would let you in the Astrodome. Yes. Um, I remember that day very well. The Mets were very kind to fly my parents in from Tampa to Houston to see my first start. And I had um, I had lunch with my parents around like one thirty, two o'clock in the hotel restaurant. And I remember after the game, I told them I was filming after the game. I was going back to my room to relax. And I was in my room, and I had so much anxiety. I was very nervous. Um, for my first game, and I remember one night downstairs about two thirty, and asking the concierge guy, "How far is the Astrodome?" And, that, and 
my memory serves me correctly, I think he said about seven or eight miles and actually the directions that he told me. And I actually walked to the ballpark. I was that nervous. And once I got there, I'd never been there before. I didn't know how to get in. So I ended up climbing like an eight-foot fence to get in. And <laughs> the security guard saw me climbing the fence. And I remember coming up to me and saying, yo, son, what are you doing? You can't be doing this. I said, well, I'm doing good. I'm pitching today. And he said, let me see. I showed my ID. They called, I guess, the office, the front office. They said that. So they came down and they let me in and walked me to the clubhouse. And um, Steve Garland, our head trainer, was there already. And he asked me about doing this already. I just told him I was very nervous. And he said, just relax. And it worked out. You got a win. It was just great. Doc, one of the highlights of the first year was the All-Star Game in San Francisco. When you struck out the, in the first inning, you picked, struck out three guys. What do, you, what do you remember about that game? I remember the All-Star game. I think, Jay, you had told me I made the All-Star team. And at first, I didn't know if he was joking or not. And I was very excited to make the All-Star team. And I remember being there, being around all these All-Star guys, uh, me, Nolan Ryan for the first time, and Gary Carter. And I remember um, the thing that sticks out probably most was, while well, down in the bullpen, I was so happy to be there. I didn't really care if I got in the game or not. I was just enjoying the whole environment. And once I got in the game, I remember Gary came up to me, and I thought, moving up and said, just throw the ball the way you've been throwing the ball the first half of the season. And... I ended up getting the three strikeouts, and after the inning, Jerry came up to me, Gary Carter, I'm talking, came up to me and said, wouldn't this be nice to go to fifth day, not knowing they was going to trade for him? So probably the highlight of that game was probably getting the three strikeouts and throwing to uh, Gary Carter. Well, that was, that was a great win. And the, and the year couldn't have turned out better, Dwight. I mean, the Mets win 90 games. You go on to win the uh, Rookie of the Year, uh, 23 of 24 votes. You know, 17 wins, 276 strikeouts. So looking back, the first year was a kind of special year for you. Yeah, the first year was more than I expected. Um, I remember making a team and talking to my dad. I said, I just want to be healthy and have a long career. I never thought about any awards or anything like that. I just wanted to you know, be consistent and have a long career. And everything started happening so fast. And once the season was over and I went home like to Tampa and then started to sink in a little bit, what I had did. And, you know, a lot of um, attention from the media, great attention, good exposure. I appreciate all the help you did, Jay. And, it was just a great accomplishment, not only for me, but my family and all the fans in, in the city of Tampa and New York as well. Now, next year, 85 was even better. You know, you know, 24 and 4, 153 ERA, unanimous Cy Young winner. Did you feel going into the year, when did your first year that the, the 85 was going to be even more special than 84? I think uh, rough the belt, I went to spring training, having experience of the one year under my belt, um, adding Gary Carter, our all-star veteran catcher, brought great leadership to our young staff. We had a great uh, relationship built up in spring training, uh, things I like to do, things he you know, talked about, approaching hitters, how to attack hitters' weaknesses. And going to that year, I had a lot of confidence from the year before and got off to a great start. And each start, I felt like I was responsible because I was an ace of the staff now, that I had to pitch a complete game. I had to take the standards for the, you know, going to that series to take the pressure off the other guys. And, I've seen this all going on and on, and you know, I started having a lot of um, a lot of great things happen. I just felt that each start was very important, and it, it became bigger than baseball, if that makes sense. Where no disrespect to other hitters, but I felt like when I took them out, I wanted to not only win the game, but I wanted to pitch a complete game. I wanted to get a fans a good showing because there was big crowds as well. So I took it upon myself and the extra pressure to pitch a complete game and. It's totally dominate that year. Yeah, Doc, speaking, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, Doc. Doc, speaking of the complete games, you, you, this, what you did that year is not really done anymore. 16 complete games, eight shutouts. Why don't you think that happens anymore in this modern era of base, in this baseball today? You know, 16 complete games. 
Yeah, that's true. I was um, well. I took them out. I tried to. Uh, my whole goal is to, to pitch a complete game, and you know it can't change so much. Where guys pitch strictly game, that's considered a great thing. And I guess the way game has changed with the analytics, you probably won't see that anymore. Because now it seems like everything's a hundred pitch count. You know, um, they, they rely more on the bullpen. Uh, they rely more on situational pitching. You know, different pitchers facing different hitters. So you probably won't see that again in this era. But um, I think it's a lost art because I think. And guys, you're pitching well and you're totally locked in. I think it's very important to let the guys go and take the pressure off the bullpen later in the season. Yeah. Hey, Doc, I know you sort the ground pitch a lot this year. You know, what were your impressions of him, and what do you what do you think made him so good and so dominant? You know, all of all of his starts. I think he was totally locked in every game. I think um, he took every start as a challenge, and I think he's coming to his own because I know he started off as a position player and he had success last year. I think he was still learning how to pitch and, and get better and better and learning how to pitch even when he don't have his best stuff and taking totally command of, of the hitter's weaknesses and just attacking guys. And it was fun to watch. And I'm looking forward to this year that would be presenting him actually Cy Young Award uh, trophy at the Writers' Dinner this year. Very right. That's, 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 that's next year. month. That should be a nice occasion. You and DeGrom on the same day is together. The gay is together. Yes, that would be great. Definitely looking forward to that because he's a Florida guy as well. But Great guy. I think he's a great leader of the staff, and hopefully he's with the Mets for a long time. Yeah. Hey, Doc, go back to you for a second. What did you think that when that K corner started, when the fans put the Ks out in left field? Did you notice that during the game, you know, when you were pitching? Uh, at first, I wasn't aware of it. Um, I think it might have been Keith. Keith and Ennis were somebody brought it to my attention and said, they're starting to hang Ks up when you strike guys out. And you try not to pay too much attention to it because – I'm focused on the game and there's enough trying to get the hitters out. But to be honest with you, every once in a while, like the, around the fifth or sixth inning, if I struck a guy out and nobody's going to face how they pass the ball around the infield, and the third base is always the last one to pass the ball back to me, I would try to take a peek up there to see how many Ks I have because at that point, I want to get at least 10 Ks a game for some reason. That's pretty, that's pretty good average. Doc, by speaking of Doc, when did they start calling you, Doc? How early on in your career? It actually started when I was in high school. My, my dad had a good friend that was actually a, a doctor, an MD, and he started telling my dad I was going to be a doctor, not a ball player, and for some strange reason, when they come to my high school games, every time I got two strikes on a batter, they always say, come on, doc, strike him out, doc, you got another patient, doc, go get him, doc. And I remember the local newspaper doing a story, and they wrote the story about doc, while the friend called me doc, and then my teammates in high school started calling me doc. And once I got drafted in 1982, I was a rookie ball, my teammates wanted to call me Goody, and I didn't really like Goody, so I told them that my nickname I called him Doc, and then it just kind of stuck. That's basically a pretty good nickname. Let me bring up one bad game I know you're not crazy about. Fourth game of the league championship series against the Dodgers in 88. Uh, you give up two runs in the first inning. You take a 4-2 lead in the ninth inning. A win would put us up 3-1, to one, and unfortunately you walk Shelby, and so she hits a two-run homer. That was a tough, oh, yeah. tough loss. That was very tough, and that that was very tough. Made a long winner, Jay. Um, I think had I won that game, I had to get that pitch back. I think that would have set the tone going into the next game. And like you say, it would be a three-one. There's a situation where um, <laughs> I was a little tired, but there's no excuses. Well, I walked Shelby. My my thought was with Sosa, not known for hitting home runs, just try to get ahead with him with a fastball instead of thinking get ahead with him with a fastball but located. I threw it right down the middle. Um, and he cheated me and, and hit the whole run. Uh, I guess you got to give him credit, but totally bad pitch, and it changed the whole series. It made it an awful long winner for me. 
Doc, looking back on your career in the Mets Hall of Fame, uh, you know, one of the most beloved players in Mets history. One of the things I admired about you is being a PR guy. You know, you're always there for the media, good or bad. I mean, you know, I you show people, you know, it's easy to be there when you win. But like in the 86 series, unfortunately, you didn't have a great series. You were 0-2, but you never ducked the media. Was there any role, pitcher, model, or anybody who kind of taught you that you really have an obligation to be there, good or bad? I think, um, Rusty Staub, I remember in 1984, Jay, I'm glad you brought that up because the late Rusty Staub, I remember my rookie year, I had a bad game at home. I can't remember who it was against. And I didn't talk to the media. I left and the next day after the ballpark, Rusty called me into the training room and talked to me about if you're going to be in your locker when you do well, you have to be there when you do bad. So for now, he said, I was here for the locker, good or bad. That's just part of your job. You have to do that. And I'm glad Rusty told me that. And so from that point on, even though if I had a bad game or whatever was going on, I made sure I addressed the media. And if I had bad problems off the field, whatever it was, I just took full responsibility for anything that went wrong on the field or off the field. Yeah. Hey, Doc, everybody knows you're a great pitcher. I had some home runs at pitcher, but somebody who went out to eat with you a lot, you're a great eater, too. I remember we used to have a restaurant in Chicago <laughs> called Ron's in Japan. And speaking of Rusty, I one time you, you you and Rusty used to devour lobster appetizers before you got to the main meal. Was that one of your, your yeah. favorite restaurants? Oh, Ron's in Japan is still my favorite, and I love all the restaurants in New York as well. But I remember Rusty Stop actually took me there too. He was my eating buddy. We still roll to eat all the time, and we'll get lobsters for appetizers, and we get the show going, which is lobster, steak, the shrimp, the fried rice, vegetables, <laughs> and then dessert. And for some reason, Russia Stop would always get a, a Diet Coke with milk, <laughs> <laughs> which I couldn't understand. And he always said, whatever we do here, it stays right here. It's just for me and your doctor. I said, okay. So my eating habits came from Russia Stop. Yeah, we used, to, <laughs> we used to walk back to the hotel and kind of walk some of that stuff off, you know. Oh, my God. Sometimes we couldn't make it always to the hotel because that's, that's saucy for the great studio. You, you have I to hear make you, a bro. quick stop somewhere. Hey, Doc, let's go back to the present day, Doc. You know, you get, I know you're proud of your son, Dylan. Pitchers in the high school in uh, in DC, and they just won a national championship. What kind of pitcher is Dylan? Dylan's a great pitcher. Um, he's six two, about one hundred eighty pounds. Just turned fourteen. Throws very hard. I'm trying to teach him the curveball, um, getting that curveball going. And loves football. Football's his favorite sport, but it's fine. And um, he's probably going to a private school in, in, in DC. All the schools out there right now. I'm very proud of him. Great athlete, but more important, he's a great student with a 4.0 GPA. Hey, Doc, throughout the career, I know it's been documented, you've had, you know, some problems with substance abuse, according to Mr. Parade in some games. But now you use that as, a, as kind of a thing to speak to kids and schools, and, and what lessons do you try and tell them from some of the things that happened to you? Yes, I let them know that with, with the problem of drugs, alcohol, it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter your race or your bike around, rich, poor, what have you, that, that the most important thing is surround yourself with good people. Uh, and if you need help, be af don't be afraid to ask for help. And I just try to turn the mess that I made into messages. And I don't know you do make mistakes, but the things you have to do now to stay out of those troubles and don't put yourself in those situations because one bad mistake can change your life forever with the consequences. And I just share with them my, my experiences. I start talking about baseball to get their attention. And I talk to them about the dangers of alcohol and drugs that don't affect you, but it affects all your loved ones, your family, fans, everybody that loves you. And you have to just take it a day at a time and be honest with yourself. That's great. Doc, another one of your passions I know is visiting uh, 
people in the hospital. You've visited policemen who were dying from 9-11 illnesses. And you went across the country to visit a kid in South Dakota who just underwent, um, uh, you know, 11 hours of brain surgery. How hard is it for you to like to see people in that kind of a situation? And what do you get out of it? Yeah, it's tough, Jay, because I just lost my mom like two years ago with a brain fake on memories. But, you know, I look back at it that I, I think I'm still here for a reason. I think I've done a lot worse than some people have done that lost their lives. And when people reach out to me through fan mail or through my family, what have you, that they have someone sick or different things like that, I feel that if I can lift their spirits for the one day or one hour, that's my obligation to do that. Because when I was going through my tough times, there's always people there to support me. And I think that's why I'm still here today. I think it's very important to give back to those that are in need. And that's what I do out of it. And I think like, you know, it's great there with myself as well because that could be me laying there. And so I take a lot of pride to go do that. I'm not looking for any attention from it. It's something that I do from my heart. Hey, Doc, thanks for being with us. And I got one piece of bad news for you. There's no gift. <laughs> no, no, that was, that was the Ralph Carter case. Mike, that's over with. <laughs> Well, listen, I appreciate it, Dwight. You're a good guy. It's a pleasure to know you all these years, my friend. Oh, you too, Jay. Love you, buddy. Good to see you. Okay, take I'll care. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.